0: This is Maine Coast Doc Talk, a podcast bringing you the latest news and stories from Maine's working waterfronts. This podcast is brought to you by the Maine Coast Fishermen's Association. My name is Diego Velazquez. This is a three part podcast series about the Portland working waterfront and the issues that have arisen between commercial fishermen, lobstermen, ground fishermen, and others over the state of Portland development currently. You're listening to part one, the perfect port. This first podcast is entirely dedicated to the fishermen themselves. You'll be hearing the voices of Jim Buxton and Willis Speer, two well-respected members of the fishing industry. Their histories, how they've seen commercial street change in their time in Portland, and the issues that they face presently. In the second pod, I'll be speaking about the development that has arisen on Commercial Street, also known as Route 1, the main road that runs directly parallel to the ocean and the wharves along the water, and the zoning that is intended to protect marine use and access to the water. Lastly, in the third pod, we'll hear the long-time struggle of fishermen from the perspective of fishing families, artists, and city stakeholders. Thanks for listening. Portland has always been a prime fishing location, rediscovered by colonial settlers in the early 1600s and utilized by the Algonquin speaking Native Americans before them. Fast forward several centuries. The city has expanded to hold over 65,000 people within the city confines and over half a million in the greater metropolitan area, making Portland the most populous city in Maine, a statistic many longtime Portland residents find unsettling. Standing on Commercial Street today, watching the traffic, and listening to the hordes of people walking in and out of shops, crossing the street, and looking at the fishing boats. My interest was piqued to find out what Commercial Street was like before many of the buildings had been constructed, and before the city had become the tourist haven it is today.
1: A guy I was working with said Commercial Street was in the Guinness Book of World's Records for being a five-lane road that had no lines, no lights, and had railroad and vehicles sharing the same space. So there was literally, and the, and you can, they only get rid of the tracks not too long ago. There was literally railroad tracks running all the way down commercial street. Yeah. You would literally be, you know, like driving along and there'd be rail cars in the middle of commercial and you'd just drive around them. You know, you know what I'm saying? It was just like literally, It was sort of almost like being on the water where there's the people that are going one way are generally on this side and the people on the other are generally on that side but you know you just drove around and you know a truck parked in the middle unloading or loading you just drove around it
0: that's jim buxton an urchin diver and lobsterman fishing from Merrill's wharf in portland
1: and i mean i'm a relative newcomer i was 18 when i first saw that I grew up in New Hampshire, you wanted to know my sort of, my background. Yeah, I, love it. I grew up in New Hampshire on a farm, Okay, worked on a farm, and of course like every farm boy you want to go to sea, right? So I watched too much Jacques Cousteau and read too many National Geographic as a kid and I wanted to dive. So I went to commercial dive school and the reason I came to Maine was for a job in commercial diving. So, you know, I mean... I was 18 at 86, coming down, well, just turned 19, coming here and seeing Portland for the first time. Well, but, but, I mean, I'm 51 now.
0: Jim went to school at the University of Southern Maine, USM, located in Portland. And
1: that's what kept me in the Portland area from then on. Is I like this, because it's a city that doesn't feel like a city. Now it feels like a city. And that, you know now, if it, if it was like it is right now, When I was 18 or 19, I'd have no interest in living here, okay? But now I've set down roots and everything, I mean, because it's becoming more like Boston instead of remaining like a, you know, a main seaport.
0: Port cities like Boston and Baltimore have all but entirely lost their commercial fishing to development along the waterfront. Jim, for one, would not have stayed after finishing school if Portland had looked the same as it does now a tourist-centric, post-industrial, and developing city. But there isn't much to do at this point, with birthing and bars and a crew so established. For as long as Jim has been in Portland, there are several fishermen who have decades of experience, even on him. Willis Speer, another Portland fisherman, has been showing up for work to go lobstering for nearly his entire life from the Portland area.
2: I didn't come from a lobster family. I came from, uh, you know, uh, seafaring, family my father. Was a marine engineer in World War II on liberty ships. He loved the sea. He worked over here in South Portland, the pipeline pier. And he, when he got out of work, he used to work nights. He had a little rowboat, and he used to just row and haul a few traps for him. Laid down to sleep for the day, you know. And that's, he got, I used to go with him, my sister and I. And that's what got me hooked, that was 1959, maybe 58. But anyway, he, he lobstered and uh, I got hooked, he knew I was hooked, and he didn't discourage me or he didn't encourage me, but when I was, became 13 I got a license and I started lobstering out of a, a dory, he found me an old swampskin dory and I fished 20 traps. But I lobstered with uh, other people, primarily the Long Island group down here in Casper Bay. Well, so I loved it all through high school, junior high and high school. I lobstered with somebody else, and I had my own boat at All Traps at night. I got a deep appreciation for Maine in the United States, especially this harbor, so. But I came home after five years of going to sea, doing that work and my that work, and I bought a, uh, I was lobstering at the t- time too, with a little boat a couple of months in the summer. And in the fall of 76, I started to uh, go ground fishing, uh, gill netting, had an old Novi boat, Atkinson Novi boat, another fellow and I had it. We, we gill netted from 76, of the fall of 76 to 79, I guess, three years or so. And well, we sold the boats and I was we made enough money. So I was able to buy a Jarvis Newman in the interim, I had run a, a dragger for a short period of time. Sam Piper went dragon. They didn't know anything about dragon. But the, there was a lot of fish around uh, in the, the winter of 78, 79. We were doing well for that little boat. We were, geez, I don't know, we were getting 1,000 pounds a tow at a dollar a pound, and then at 79, and, and the fuel was like 35 or 40 cents a gallon. So, and, and I like dragging. So I, I rigged my gil, my snow squall up for dragon and in gillnet, and, gill net and I, I for 30 years I had that boat. And, and towards the end of it, I, I also went lobstering with it. I, I finally had to give up on groundfish because they, they they just it was like someone had pulled the plug. That or the tide went out; those groundfish just slowly receded from the coast. We started noticing it after '84. They just they just stopped coming.
0: Before becoming self-employed as a lobsterman, Willis traveled the Western Hemisphere with Texas Instruments, the parent company, Geophysical Services, and McAllister Towing, getting the opportunity to see hundreds of ports along the eastern seaboard of both North and South America, but ultimately returned to his home port in Maine from where he fishes today. But his return was not coincidental. Portland is truly an ideal port.
2: We got to see those southern ports and uh, you know, what they were like they are a lot different than here, so you had appreciation, more of appreciation, because here you don't have to steam up a river like the Delaware River or the Hudson River. Or you don't have to go up the Chesapeake Bay to, to uh, get to your ports. You're, you're, this is, you're right into the, the deep ocean when you go around the corner, and you're also within three miles of some of the richest fishing grounds in the world at one time. They were once the richest fishing grounds in the world.
0: Not only is Portland an ideal location for fishermen to bring the spoils of the sea to the people of Portland, Maine, and the rest of the world, the port is incredibly unique, geographically and physically.
2: And that's what these wharves provide. They're deep water. You know, you can get in these heron boats, these big boats. There's no other place on the coast that has this amount of dockage for these big boats. And at times, there's five or six of these heron boats unloading and yet on, on five different wharves. So all of it's important, very important, not just for me, but for the economy of Maine, because all this bait is distributed throughout the coast of Maine, and all this ground fish, even, it's not a lot, but it's still distributed, uh, and the lobsters are distributed, you got Interstate 95 just on the other side of the hill, it, within minutes, you're on a turnpike headed south or headed north, it's, it, it's, a, it's a marvelous transportation system.
1: The harbor itself is a natural feature that does not exist anywhere else, okay? I can pull up my chart plotter right now and show you where the ports are, okay? Portsmouth, Portland, Rockland, Penobscot Bay, okay? In between those spaces, there are harbors, but they are not anything like Portland, okay? Where you can literally... Be protected from almost any weather. Okay, right here we've got this north, the hill that makes Portland is protection from the northerly winter winds. The winds in the north, in the winter, are coming out of northwest, north, and northeast. Okay, so literally in a hurricane, there's barely any seas right in here, unless it's out of the south, and then there's just a little bit.
0: Here's Jim again.
1: So, you know, when you're talking about like Rockland for a small boat this size, I urchin dove up there for three years with my boat. The last time I was up there, they forecasted a storm. and Towards the end of the season, I'm like, screw it, we're out of here. So we called it early that day. I steamed my boat from Rockland to Portland The next day, three boats broke anchor, broke mooring, and were wrecked in Rockland Harbor, right amongst the boats, right in the area I was tied up
0: in. And that could have been your boat.
1: It absolutely could have been my boat. Okay? So that's just the difference. I mean, I came to Portland to save my boat.
0: So, in addition to being a place for fishermen and their boats to return in order to seek safety, unlike even the closest nearby ports, such as South Portland, The port of Portland offers an evolving hub of transportation.
1: Well, because because the entrance of the harbor is like three miles away from us right here. So if you go out to the end of this wharf, there's dredged, granted, but it's 42 feet deep all the way up to Merrill's, well, Sprague Energy, up almost to the Veterans Bridge, okay, where they're literally bringing ocean-going ships. This story. Well, yeah, but a hero could be a zero if you've edited it a different way, right?
0: All right, I'll send, I'll send you what
1: I got. All right. Um, the first time I ever came to Portland would have been 86. And I was working for a company called Aquatech out of Warren, Maine. And we were coming down to fix a Portland water district. That had a leak in one of their water mains between Mackworth Island and... I think the Diamonds. I didn't know any different back then. I had no idea. First time I was ever on Custom House Wharf. And it was like stepping back in time then, and it's still like stepping back in time. Yeah. As far as, you know, it just feels like the 1800s when you walk onto the pier, right? When you're looking at harbor Harborfish's buildings and stuff like that. Yeah, Anyways But uh But, you know, the, when I... Really started spending time was when I started urchin diving in the early late, late 80s and the early 90s. And, like, Commercial Street was sketchy. Like, no normal people really
0: came down here. It was just the fishing industry down here? For the most it? part, and, you know, it was sort of like... And transportation is just as critical to a port as protection from the open ocean. Fishermen have been able for centuries to load their product from the seas onto rail cars or now onto trucks and have it on the highway going anywhere along the coast, in Maine, nationwide, or in some cases internationally. And this is unique. Nowhere else in the state of Maine does this amalgamation of factors come together so perfectly. But Portland hasn't and won't necessarily always remain the same. Fortunately for the fishermen, the city has evolved around the industry because it has been economically viable and beneficial to do so, as well as the fact that the foundation of the city was and has always been fishing. However, there are many related and unrelated issues that culminate to pose an immediate and tangible threat to the fishermen of Portland, as well as collectively to the coast of Maine. One of the difficulties with an ever-expanding metropolitan area is congestion. Every city has faced this, or is currently working on ensuring a vibrant tourist economy, while balancing the ability of local residents to go about their day-to-day activities, including simply getting to and from work. And Portland is no different. The city has been contending with a multi-decadal back-and-forth over the waterfront between the long-standing fishermen and the relatively new-to-the-block development. This development, since the 1980s, has transformed the face of the waterfront, altering the presence of shops and businesses along Commercial Street, while slowly encroaching on the birthright of many of the fishermen in Portland. The tourist epicenter of the town wasn't always commercial street. But the presence of thousands of tourists, especially during the summertime or prime lobstering season, when fishermen are trying to get to their boats, move their product from boat to market, run down to a gear supply store for a part, or even just leaving after a long day on the water, the congestion is the last thing anyone wants to deal with
2: parking became an issue. Like today, I couldn't get out. You know, I, can't, I couldn't get out to, to leave because someone had me blocked in. Uh, space, we were guaranteed eight feet of space between the wharf's edge and the, the buildings. That, that's that gone away. And traffic, we complained about the traffic, and that's only increased. Where If you've got a perishable product, you know, you may sit for Half hour. One day we sat here for an hour before we could even get off the walk. So, in every year it seems to get worse. As far as those promises that we were guaranteed, they, they just disappear. And we know uh, I could write, uh, say, uh, write a litany and say a litany of all the promises that have been broken.
0: To lay it out in simple terms, the issues that fishermen are facing are as follows. Displacement from their longtime time birthing. Encroachment on their space to work. Parking limitation. The inability to get to and from work or transport a perishable product. Inaccessibility to marine-related businesses, such as bait sellers, gear shops, or lobster pounds. The building of incompatible uses right alongside the commercially dedicated wharves, etc. All on top of the issues that they face on the day-to-day that are unrelated to development, such as bait quota limitations, fuel price fluctuation, the price of lobster stagnating, the daily life-threatening task of being out on the water, and others.
1: So it, it's a function of all of the factors tying into an industry, right? You can't have a successful industry if there's no, there's no lobstering, if there's no bait. There's no lobstering, if there's no wharfage. There's no lobstering if there's chemical releases and waste treatment releases. So there's the incompatible uses that the city is building into the waterfront. So it's not only the redevelopment, but then placing incompatible uses next to each other.
0: Although many developers and landowners don't necessarily see it that way, constructing a hotel in an industrial area, that is the waterfront, poses many complications to newcomers. No one wants to continually smell bait or engine fumes at three in the morning when the fishermen are preparing to leave for the day. So recognizing the context that is Portland's working waterfront is incredibly important and so often overlooked. But most importantly, the largest fear for the fishermen of Portland is not the development of a single edifice but the opportunity the relaxation of the zoning to allow for the construction of residential buildings opens up to the future of development. Will the city open up the floodgates for future projects to congest an already saturated waterfront?
1: The thing you've got to understand it is, it's, a, it's sort of a war of inches. It's not a building, it's not a business, but it's, it's sort of like the tide. It's the trend, okay? The trend is complete redevelopment of the working loft to non-working uses. That's the trend, and right now, as long as the economy stays the way it is, there is an economic incentive for anybody that owns real estate on Commercial Street to cash in. I'm not saying that that one building will be the issue, but the issue is is that when the zoning changes if a hotel comes in and they change the zoning, then all of the waterside of Commercial Street is potentially at risk. Because then it's any use that somebody can convince the, the Zoning Board of Appeals to accept
0: can go in there. But that's the issue. Development is like the tide, as is tourism. It fluctuates. So building an economy around hotels and tourism, both of which ebb and flow, increase and decrease, is a risky strategy for the city to adopt, especially when the fishing industry has remained for centuries prior. As far as the regulation goes surrounding Commercial Street, there's legal zoning that's intended to protect marine uses along the water. But there are conflicting issues incorporated within the zoning itself, which I'll discuss further in the second pod of this series, The Rising Tide. The fight for the working waterfront to remain a working waterfront is as much about the present state of Portland as well as the future of the city and whether or not commercial fishing will have a place at the table.
1: Well, protecting the possibility of a working waterfront. As soon as it's a condominium, you can never go back.
0: And right there is the crux of the issue. You can put a restaurant, a condominium, an office building, a hotel, anywhere else access to the waterfront is already limited and saturated. So attempting to fill every empty space on Commercial Street might make the city of Portland some cash in the short term. But we need to be looking further down the road. Looking forward will ensure the longevity and productivity of our economy, as well as the continuation of our age-old industries.
1: can you convert a hotel into for a marine use? Yeah. Okay. So if we allow that development to occur, then we lose the the natural feature and it never comes back. Unless the city's willing to take places by eminent domain, tear them down, turn it back into a working waterfront. But then you're talking spending many 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 millions of public money to destroy what they're letting happen right now. We have a whole bunch of things that are happening here that are that are not not for the long-term benefit of the working waterfront and I would make the argument that because we're not looking out for a working waterfront, maybe not as big as it is, but if we're not protecting a working waterfront, the long-term the long term, um, f- the future of Portland suffers because they will not be able to take advantage of opportunities. So, in some ways the city is, is grabbing the short term gains and forgetting you know, that there's a future and that they should be thinking on a longer horizon.
0: This is precisely what has brought a group of Portland fishermen and lobstermen together to fight for the preservation of the working waterfront, their jobs, and their way of life. They've met before from the late 1980s and intermittently up until the present to address current issues that affect their collective livelihood. And that's quite a unique thing for this group of small business owners, these fishermen, so organized to fight for their cause together.
2: So that's what drives us. It's just it's it's a far better thing, I believe, to have these wafts used for what they were intended, as opposed to you know, residential. I'm at the end of my road, you know, but I want to see the next generation. It's
1: survival. We're we're in a situation where. It's not just the city that is, that is, you know, we're under many knives or axes or guillotines, whatever you want to call it. We're fighting for our lives. I mean, we've been giving up um, and negotiating and in meetings attempting to fend off attacks from all those directions.
0: Each time this has happened, there have been extenuating circumstances that provoked a justified and needed response. Each of these fishermen in Portland are their own self-employed business owners. Each boat, a small business with employees, costs, and profits like any other small business, with the difference being that they're based on the water. They're rather independent individuals who rarely work for and with one another. That being said, when a fisherman needs assistance, the community is there to support and help them out. So it's striking and meaningful when the fishermen band together for a single cause like they have very recently. And we should listen to what they have to say. Although many have organized together to address the development on Commercial Street, not all have the same outlook on the future of the waterfront. Even between these two fishermen, there's some disagreement on their level of hope or despair about the waterfront and their prospects of fishing in the future. Some are hopeful, and some are downcast. But what is clear is that there's a lot of work that needs to be done if we are to preserve the cultural integrity of the city of Portland, and by extension, the coast of Maine. In the next episode, you'll hear the voices of Jim and Willis once more, and I'll be talking with Charlie Poole, the proprietor of Union Wharf and Bill Needleman, the waterfront coordinator for the city of Portland, about the history of commercial streets development and the regulations that are intended to protect the commercial marine activities that take place out of the city. Thanks to the fishermen for their continued activism and advocacy. It's undeniably impressive and meaningful that after a day of hard and dangerous work, They can take the time, usually spent with family, to gather together and discuss the issues that the fishing community is facing collectively. They're working hard every week to come up with legitimate and purposeful ideas in a concerted effort to protect the working waterfront. And thanks to the MCFA team for their help and support. Make sure to look out for the second episode in the series, Rising Tide, to hear about the regulations that are intended to protect the marine industries of Portland. Thanks for listening.